and have an openness, you know, the, the big five personality characteristics, one of them is openness to new experiences. Those are the people who are going to find aging to be an exciting journey and one that uh, leaves them motivated. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with influencers from all walks of life and all over the world who are contributing to the common good in all kinds of interesting ways. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is one of the scientifically proven ways we can age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow zestful ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. To find out more about this podcast, my web courses and my book, not just chatting, how to become a master podcast interviewer, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind the scenes looks at upcoming episodes and other fun tidbits, including pictures of my crazy puppy, Frankie. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, and you can find out more at judybanker.com. Well, I'm really looking forward to our interview today. Have you ever wondered who will take care of you as you age? It's not always pleasant to think about, but the reality is that we may outlive our partners and family members. And the truth is that many of us will be solo agers. So what are the choices we need to start thinking about now to prepare for that time? Our guest today is an expert on aging well, and she's going to help us think about solo aging. Dr. Mary Flett is the executive director of the Center for Aging and Values, and she's the founder of Five Pillars of Aging Seminars. She's now retired as a treating psychologist, but she's turned to writing and consulting as she creates workshops and seminars to help other people age better and age well. Welcome to the show, Mary. Oh, Nicole, I have been so excited to be talking to you today. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of a uh, good conversation. I just know it because we've spoken before and I think we're we're on the same page. You've been a cl clinician um, and, um, and I am still a clinician, but you are doing really important work here and I can't wait to speak with you about this whole question of solo aging. I mean, the whole topic can already be anxiety provoking, right? You're already talking about aging. It's kind of hard to push ourselves sometimes to think about um, our own aging and now we're adding on, I might be a solar, solo ager. How do you even encourage people to start considering uh, some of the choices they may be uh, called upon to make as a solo ager? Well, first, let's do the clinical intervention that's necessary here. I just invite everybody to take a breath. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the realities of aging in the 21st century is we have both the opportunity to create so many new things 
and challenge some of the ideas that I think remain unchallenged frequently. Here's an example of what I mean. My husband was older than I, and I always knew he was going to die before I did. I was prepared for that. What I wasn't prepared for was how I would navigate myself in society without him. We'd been together for over 35 years. I was used to being in a couple. All of Uh a sudden, I became a third wheel. But with that said, oh my God, was I enjoying the choices I now had of where I wanted to go, when I wanted to go, and who I wanted to go with. So I had to come to terms with this shift in identity. It wasn't really a shift in who I was. It was a shift in how I navigated society. Mm-hmm. And this is so interesting because I know as a clinician, you're very aware of this idea of ambivalence, right? It's like, yeah, my life's great. It's nice to have a partner. This is, you know, it's really companions are, you know, it's it's warm and cozy. And yet there's a part of being in a partnership that necessarily limits us. And so then there's this freedom and opportunity, although, as you say, it takes an identity shift. And our culture is lagging in accepting independent agers. Um, I know some of your listeners are in different cultures around the world, and different cultures have different expectations of what older adults are supposed to be doing. In the United States, we have this I think, false notion of independence, where we're supposed to remain on our own and take care of everything. There are many cultures, for example, I'm very familiar with cultures in New Zealand and Australia and Japan, where the entire community connects and supports each other across the decades. So Mm -hmm. elders are valued for a number of different things, and there are ways they are incorporated into those cultures. In the United States, so far, we haven't really found ways to engage elders in all levels of our communities. Although my push is to really make sure that people understand that we can value ourselves and others as we age and find ways to contribute and and share the legacy of values that are so important to help us keep going in hard times. Mm-hmm. Yes, my experience in speaking to guests uh, and meeting people from the UK, Australia, and New Zealand is that they're a bit ahead of the US. <laughs> and uh, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but they're a little more advanced in, in considering the benefits of supporting elders and supporting positive aging. It, it, it looks and feels different in those cultures. It does indeed. And we can use them as role models, but we also are going to do what we're going to do here in this country. Uh, I'm on the West Coast, and there's so many opportunities, particularly in smaller communities, where older adults have carved out a niche where they are creating their own learning opportunities. They're creating their own opportunities to contribute to the betterment of young people's lives. In cities, it's a little bit more difficult because I think we see the struggle 
of the economic impact that many older adults have to face because there isn't sufficient income coming in. And as mental health professionals, you and I both know that there is a huge epidemic of depression and anxiety that often uh, just because of being older, we're not seen and therefore we're not treated. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it occurs to me, and this may be the most obvious point ever, but if elders were treated in our culture as valuable, they may be less depressed and anxious. Truly, having a place lowers anxiety. Having purpose and meaning gives a person a reason mm -hmm. to wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And here we are at, at least for Christians, the one of the most important times of year. And yet, for many people, it is a time of sadness and loss of not being able to connect with family. I've, I've seen many posts on Facebook this past week about people who are feeling disconnected, not just because of COVID restrictions, but disconnected because aging parents are no longer with them, children are no longer with them. Um, and this need for human beings to connect is so essential. And mm -hmm. yet, we make so many barriers towards successful connection, open-hearted, loving, trusting connection saddens mm -hmm. me. On the other hand, something like this, this wonderful podcast gives people opportunities to drop into lives in a way that shares and validates, I think, both feelings of loneliness, which we have to admit to, we can't keep denying it, but then gives ways of connecting that are perhaps different from what have been before. I see. Can you give some examples of uh, connections that might be different in, in our older years? I've got a huge smile on my face. I uh, <laughs> put together a six-week workshop called No Time Like the Present. And I invited folks from our local senior center to, uh, by the way, I hate that term senior center. It just uh. sounds like a parking lot for older people, but <laughs> don't, don't have a better name for it yet. So uh, I invited uh, them to join me once a week um, for a, a structured investigation of things that really, I think, are important for people to pay attention to. So specifically, I had a 92-year-old, an 86-year-old, a 45-year-old, and uh, two others, and I don't think I'm really even aware of what their ages were. The 96-year-old and the 82-year-old had absolutely no problem connecting over Zoom. The younger folks were a little bit intimidated by that fact, and I just dropped my jaw because I had to look at what I anticipated was going to be a barrier was anything but. The connection between our older members and our younger members, which spanned 40 years, was nothing to do with technology and was everything to do with inspiring each other and providing solutions to problems. The 45-year-old didn't have any idea what they were going to do when they grew old. The 96-year-old said, don't worry about growing old. Just be present to what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. 
Wisdom. It was a wisdom circle. It was. It was. And the beauty of it was it could only have happened in my mind because COVID told us we couldn't do things the old way. And the old way was you had to show up in person at this place Mm -hmm. where you were sequestered and 45-year-olds would never go there because that's where old people went. Uh So we, we had to... We weren't even aware that we were carrying those limitations. Um, and because we set them aside and connected at this level, we discovered with great joy that we were sharing challenges and could come up with solutions that were easily implemented and um I just, Mm. again, I'm smiling. I wish you could see Mm. me because Mm -hmm. it gave me such a sense of satisfaction knowing that I was participating in this sharing of knowledge and connecting people. Yes. Yes. And is that one of the the, um, points about being a good independent ager that you need to find other places because you no longer have your partner to get some of those um, good feelings or some of that connection? I think the skill set that is most valuable as a social ager is being able to, I said this to a friend the other day, give yourself permission Now, one of the inner dialogues that happened to me after my husband died was I had no desire to go out because I didn't have the bandwidth to be happy and then tell people about how I was feeling. Very kind inquiries about my state of mind and and my grief, but it felt invasive. And so my response to that was to withdraw. Mm -hmm. Well, at some point, I was withdrawing probably more than was good for me. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, we're in a culture that is mostly extroverted. I actually gave myself permission to become to allow my introverted side to come out a little bit more. Now that's in a grieving situation. As a solo ager, many people are intentional. They've never got married. They've enjoyed living uh, an individual life and they have networks of friends. What changes as we age is the frequency of connection with those networks and the intensity of connection with those networks. For example, you may go out with a book, uh, one of one of your, um, uh, a book reading group. And I've had friends who are solo agers who've been in their book groups for 20 and 30 years. Uh-huh. Those are deep, purposeful connections. And sometimes people die. So do you replace that person and bring in somebody new? Or do you just start to adjust to a smaller and smaller and smaller group? I think one of the biggest challenges that I have seen due to COVID, and I'm not so sure that this is true around the world. I know it is true in the United States, um, is because our healthcare delivery is based on symptomology as opposed to preventative care. So many people have taken the dilemma of being afraid to go out to get care and finding care and support 
that can be brought to them. I'm not saying this well, but my let me go to my conclusion, then I'll take a step uh-huh. back here. COVID's been with us for two years. In that time, we have made tremendous adaptations, tremendous adaptations. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for all that we have done. More people 65 and older have received two shots and a booster than at any time that I have been aware of where there's been a public health emergency. That's unheard of. Uh How have we done that? We've done that just by setting ourselves up and attending to business. I saw people reach out and offer to take neighbors to places where shots were being given. I had friends calling up. Everybody was checking their phones to see who was offering shots, who had appointments. Yes. There was this extraordinary collaboration to make sure that those we cared about received the care they needed. And that's continuing, even though I think all of us are exhausted by where we're at and having to face yet another extension of this time. Yeah. Well, I think that's really true, this this idea of networking and connecting. And I've done that, too. You know, oh, where did you go? Oh, go um, after hours. They have extra shots here. Or someone will call and say, hurry up. There's a self, you know, the home test. There's only a few left. Do you want one? Yeah, I think that that's so true. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. What else about independent aging is important for us to prepare for? 
Oh boy, let me see, where should I start? Um, hmm. I, I break this into different uh, areas of focus. Basically, there are three. One is housing, one is healthcare, and one is just socialization and connectivity. So housing, there are some competing challenges going on right now. I've recently written a piece uh, that I called, What Does It Mean to Be a, a Climate Nomad? And I have, I don't know about you, but uh, I have a number of relatives who have found their way down to Florida because of <laughs> growing up in uh, weather challenged areas. And mm, yes, well, I live in upstate New York. I'm, so I'm, there, <laughs> I hear there's a direct, yeah. yes, there's snowbirds. Yeah. The, the, the idea was you go down to a place like Florida or you go to Arizona um, and you retire there. So you move from from where you've raised your family, where you've done your uh, business life and, and had your career, and then you move someplace else. Problem is, the places that people are moving to are now challenged by climate change. And if you have organized yourself in terms of your housing um, around moving from point A to point B, and point B is no longer safe, you really are kind of stuck if you haven't come up with plan C. Mm, and so it's a I, mindset more than anything I, else. Can I can I um, ask you a question about that? I mean, we're all aware that the sea levels are rising. So are you talking about some of the um, problems that Florida is having specific to flooding? Is that, is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? Absolutely. Um, I see. Flooding, a lack of fresh water, that's so, certainly true in the southeast. Um, we saw what happened in western Kentucky. Um, we, we are no longer able to assume that a single place is going to be safe. I, I my, Both my husband and I spent many years... Uh, as volunteers, and my husband was a professional with the American Red Cross and responded to many, 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 many disasters. Uh -huh. Some of the greatest numbers of folks who are disaster response volunteers are older adults. Uh -huh. And if, if you are responding to a disaster, you learn very quickly uh, to think about what permanency is. It's, it's hard. It's a psychological mindset. Um, I have a house, therefore I am safe. And until something challenges that, uh, I don't have any impetus or any reason to change how I live. Well, I live in California now. For the last uh, three years, the area I live in, which is just north of San Francisco and wine country, has been threatened by fire. Mm -hmm. And not just an occasional fire. I mean, whole areas have been burned. Uh, I've had to evacuate. Yeah. This was where I was going to retire. I, I don't have that option anymore because it's not safe. So uh, we've seen historically, there have been times when humanity has had to move due to massive changes in access to water. Or you mean, I mean, I'm really talking broadly historically here of uh, during the um, ice age and things like that. And we moved. 
Okay, but the areas that are available for us to move to are getting smaller. So housing is one thing, okay? So just where are you going to live and where is it uh-huh. safe for you to live? That uh-huh. is directly connected to healthcare, okay? So especially for those of us that are receiving Medicare, if you are in a Medicare Advantage plan and all of your physicians are stuck in one local area, and you have to leave that area, what are you going to do? How are you going to establish medical care again? We are intensely dependent on hospital services, and we've seen the challenge that COVID, the strain that that has put on it. I want to suggest to your listeners that we also need to pay attention to our public health systems. Uh, those of your listeners who are, are in countries that have national health service, uh, uh-huh. you, you all just go out and have a cup of tea and come back in a few minutes. <laughs> but uh, the rest of us who are um, un- unfortunate to not be able to have care in an organized fashion that way, I, finding a new physician is challenging. Getting your insurance to cover whatever care you need, making sure that the kinds of, of professionals are available to you uh, when you need them. This is just mind-numbingly challenging moving into a new area. I see. And then the, the I even forgot what my last point was, but oh, it's, it's establishing community. So mm-hmm. um, for many of us, uh, and I'm speaking very broadly here. Community has been defined by who we work with, the uh, kind of worshiping we do in the communities we worship in, and the school systems that our children were raised in, and or if we didn't have children, um, just the, the community that we, we lived in and how we volunteered and stuff like that. These things change as people move in and move out. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and I've gone back and I can't tell you, I I don't recognize half of the places that I used to know. Everything is different, Uh, everything has uh, changed. So if I were to go back home, which is a wonderful thought here during Christmas season, um, it isn't a home that I would recognize anymore. And if I, having been away from it for very many years, reestablishing myself is physically, psychologically, and emotionally draining. And there's no guarantee it'll work out. There's no guarantee that I'll be able to put roots down. So I, I don't want this to sound negative. I mean, these are just some of the things that really need to be taken into account. And if you have conversations with other people who are going through similar ideas, then there is an opportunity to problem solve this in a way that can take advantage of the creativity of aging adults. Remember, we have more than the five years that our parents did between retirement and death. Uh We're now looking at 15 to 20 years where we can literally create a whole new life for ourselves. And we get to do this. I, I often talk about we're, we're like Sacagawea and Lewis and Clark. We have got to create new pathways over territory that is familiar, 
but still brand new and undiscovered. So oh, how oh, we create, isn't it? Yeah, I think mm, so too. <laughs> she said it. modestly. Um, I, I, how how we take this on, I think, is all about attitude. And if we can embrace it and really focus on aging better and aging well, I, th- I think we will be successful in creating the kind of life that brings us satisfaction and leaves a legacy of values for those who are going to follow. So I think the bottom line is what you're really saying is this is something that requires thought and energy, planning, some predicting, um, and some of it is, is being, I think, courageous and, and taking steps, but, you know, it, it really has to be thought through. It's not just something that you're going to do hastily. People who are able to embrace new ideas and have an openness, you know, the, the big five personality characteristics, one of them is openness to new experiences. Those are the people who are going to find aging to be an exciting journey and one that uh, leaves them motivated. People who, for whatever reason, we started this conversation around anxiety, people who are afraid of what the future holds for them, either because they don't feel plugged in to a community that is supportive or they are challenged with chronic illness, pain, uh, psychological challenges, and, uh-huh. and maybe finances. But I, I call it the, the four E's, emotional economics. Understanding that I am enough, believing that there is enough, knowing what is good enough for me, being able to say this is what's good enough for me, and really understanding that I have enough and identifying what that is. That's the foundation that will get us through these next really quite challenging decades that lie before us. Mm-hmm. So, so much depth there. And are those the kind of things that you talk about in your seminars, these value questions? They are indeed. And uh, it's the five pillars of aging is, um, in its own uh, growth period at the moment, I'm, I'm redoing the, the website at the moment, so I don't folks won't have access to these courses, but uh, at the beginning of the new year, they will. I am delighted to share with your listeners that I just published a three-book series called Aging with Finesse, where all of these topics are discussed, and mm-hmm. you can go on Amazon.com mm-hmm. and uh, just plug in Aging with Finesse or my name, Mary Flett, F like Uh Frank, L-E-T-T like Tom, and and you'll have a link to that. If you're looking for some stocking stuffers, very reasonably priced books. Um, (laughs) And you're welcome to also plug into the Center for Aging and Values website where I publish a blog every week that talks on topics that are of interest and of meaning uh, to folks who are aging. And uh, you, your listeners are also welcome to email me directly, and I can either put that on your website or share it with folks, whatever you'd prefer. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and share it. Sure. It's all one word. Dr. Mary Flett, D-R-M-A-R-Y-F-L-E-T-T. 
at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from people and exchange mm-hmm. ideas. That's wonderful. What a resource. Um, and I, I just love the idea of the fact that you've been a clinician, so you understand through the inner workings and, and some of the, the thought patterns, um, and also are an expert in aging and values. So you have this, the inside and the outside view that I think is so important. You're very kind to acknowledge that. It has given me a sense of satisfaction, deep satisfaction, that I have been able to be present to people who are challenged uh, by what life has offered them and then have found ways to overcome those barriers and continue to embrace life. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, that's beautiful. Well, Mary, thank you so much for uh, talking to us about this phenomenon, which sounds like it's uh, pretty common and something we all need to think about, the idea of solo aging. And again, if you've just joined us, we've spoken to Dr. Mary Flett, and she is the author of Aging with Finesse and also the director uh, for the Center of Aging and Values. So Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Nicole, and and blessings of the season on you and all who love you and who you love. (laughs) Lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.